What a wonderful way for us to move toward the Word, just considering the greatness of our God. Amen? As we think about freedom, as we think about the 4th of July, we think about our nation, fighting is involved in our thought process. We think about those who have fought for our freedoms. We think even as we sing our national anthem about a battle that has gone on through the night, the rocket's red glare. Well, as we've been talking about family for the last several weeks, and as we'll consider that subject on into the summers, we've thought about our best summer ever and put resources together. I want us to think together about this idea of fighting for our family, but not in terms of a military strategy, not in terms of physical fighting, for we know that our weapons are not of physical nature. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, and because of that, to truly and rightfully fight for your family, you need to use the right weapons. And so I want to say this right off the bat. The greatest weapon that we have in our fight for our families is this. It is a spirit-filled life of obedience. When you as a mom or a dad, when you as a grandparent, when you as an individual believer begin to live a spirit-filled life of obedience then that is the fight. That is the spiritual conflict. And when you live that way, you begin to influence those that are around you in remarkable ways. And so today I want us to talk about the spiritual nature of this fight. We're going to talk from Galatians 3 about how to fight for your family. It it may be one of the most important themes in all of the Bible. Right here is the, the theme of Galatians. We'll get to it in a moment. I invite you to turn there. But here's a very simple prayer that I want to give you, and it comes... Uh, from a different passage, from Nehemiah 4, 14. You can look that up. I, I just put that as a reference for this sermon because it says those very words, fight for your brothers and for your sisters. But here's a prayer I want us to read together. We'll use this sort of as a responsive reading. Everybody sit up straight, taking a big deep breath, and read this prayer with me. God, give me strength each day to fight for my family. Let's say that again. God... Give me strength each day to fight for my family. I pray that some dads that are in this room will have the courage and the gumption to pray that prayer tomorrow morning before their feet hit the ground. God, today, give me the strength to fight for my family. I pray some moms and some grandparents will come to the place of saying, God, today, give me the strength to fight for my family. We hear all the news. We see all of the reports of the darkening of the culture around us, but the reality is we are not fighting for victory we're fighting from it Jesus Christ has already won he is the victor and we are standing in a place of occupying until he comes again and so every single day in this spiritual conflict my encouragement to all of us is that we would pray God give us the strength today to fight for our families and that you would couple that with what I've already said the greatest weapon in this fight is a spirit filled life of obedience. Now I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read just a few verses here and we'll explore this theme and then apply it, if you will, to the family. The Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, said this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit? by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith. 
Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, and now you are being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was uh, in, uh, in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Now, I want to say this again to you. The theme of Galatians perhaps is one of the most important ones that we will hear. Let me explain it this way. A group of believers, a group of people have become Christians. How did they become Christians? The missionary journeys of Paul. Paul traveled to this area called Galatia, and he began to share the gospel. And as he shared with them the gospel, many of them received the gospel. They heard the truth about Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and they trusted him by faith. In fact, he didn't just lead people to Christ. They formed churches. If you go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, but it's just a reference. Paul says to the churches in Galatia. So churches have been formed. But there was some confusion over the gospel. You need to hear this. There was some confusion. They came to a place of focusing on obedience, focusing on keeping the law, focusing on all of the the things that uh, Judaism had pointed them to, an idea of keeping uh, all these rigorous tasks before them. But here's the confusion. They abandoned grace and the gospel in doing so. There was such an emphasis, such a focus on obedience that they lost sight of grace. They lost sight of the redeeming grace of Jesus and therefore they gave up the gospel. Now, why is this important? I believe that this letter is written for us to understand that this can happen today. It can happen in a church You've probably seen it. There are legalistic churches. There are legalistic families out there that believe we've got to do everything by the book, right and wrong, black and white. This is everything we are to do. We're going to follow these things, and we're to follow them almost without grace. Now, their focus and their emphasis in keeping the law had had taken this kind of a, a stance. We were saved by grace, but now we're kept by the law. We're kept by doing these works. And Paul said an amazing thing there in verse 2. He said, I just want to know one thing. One question I have for you. Did you receive this spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And the reality for us is that many of us were saved by grace, but we feel like somewhere in our hearts and in our minds in a performance-based society that we need to stay saved by doing things. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. And we're going to look at that because here's the application for today. This can happen in a Christian family. You're raising your family and you want them to know the Lord. You want them to have an obedient heart to Him. You want them to be saved and go to heaven. You want them, your kids and your grandchildren, to live their lives on a trajectory that points them Christward. Absolutely you do. Well, I've entitled this message Fighting for the Family because the context here is so very important for families. Paul brings out four themes. I've put them in your notes. Let me give them to you in the order that he gives them. He asks the question, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or hearing and obeying? So receiving, observing, hearing, and obeying. Let's put it in this order. Hearing, believing, receiving, Obeying. 
all of us hear the gospel at some point, and we have a choice at that point. Do we believe it? Do we trust in it? Do we actually place our faith in the completed work of Jesus? This is the gospel. The gospel cannot be mixed with works. It cannot be mixed with, now I need to observe the law so that I'll stay saved. No, the gospel is very clear. Jesus Christ offers our salvation, and he does that, and we are saved by his grace through faith in him alone. That is so vitally important, and the Galatians had missed it, and Paul asked them that question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by keeping the law? This is a key theme. Receiving God's Spirit is crucial. Now, I want you to think about this with me. God had long since promised His Spirit. All throughout the Old Testament, we see promises of the Spirit of God coming. And here, uh, we see very, very simply what happened in Acts 2. If you go to Acts 2 with me, don't have to turn there. But in your mind, we know that's Pentecost. We know that there were 120 believers waiting on Jesus' command to wait for power to come. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God shows up. In fact, in such a powerful way, there was a visible image of flaming tongues and every person heard in their own heart language the truth of the gospel. As Peter stood to preach in Acts 2.14, he said, this is a fulfillment of what the prophet Joel has said. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all my people, upon all flesh. God has long since promised that. And here's the sound of the wind and the fire of those tongues. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he preaches, we see this is God's plan from the beginning. What does Peter stand up and preach? He preaches the gospel. He says that Jesus Christ, the cornerstone whom you crucified, has been raised gloriously by the power of God. Now, why is all of that important? Some of you say, Pastor, that just seems theoretical. We know the gospel. Well, so did the Galatians. They had heard it, and they veered off course. It's easy for us to live with rules and regulations because we set the standards. God's standard in the gospel is perfection and holiness, and the only way we can attain that is to trust Him and let His holiness be our holiness. We can never achieve it. They had strayed from the gospel. They had abandoned the truth of the gospel. And sadly, this at times happens in our families. Listen to these words from Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, Repent, each of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He said that in response to their question. They heard him preaching and said, What must we do? He said, Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Same language in Acts that we see in Galatians. You will receive the Spirit. And he goes on, he says, this is the promise for you and for your children. Church family, hear me. The promise of God for your children is this. They can receive the Spirit of God into their lives if they will repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That is a great place for an amen. Your children who stand under the wrath of a holy, righteous, and just God can be gloriously saved, miraculously saved, pardoned from their sin, redeemed from their sin. That is the promise of God. And that promise is for you and for you and you and you and for your children. Now, 
Let's move back, if we can, to Galatians. Because I want us to see that this is God's purpose, this is God's plan for our children. If they'll repent, if they'll turn to Him in repentance, they'll receive the Holy Spirit, and that's what God wants. Nothing less than that is His purpose for you. God wants you to be indwelled by the Spirit of God. Look again with me in Galatians 3 at the question of Paul. One thing I want to know, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive it by works of the law or did you receive it by faith, by hearing the gospel and believing, by trusting? This is critical. You do not receive the Spirit by obeying the law. Paul says in a rhetorical way, did you do this? And the answer is obviously what? No. Let me ask you, do you receive the Spirit of God by obeying the law? Yes or no, church? Let's try it one more time. Do we receive the Spirit of God by keeping the law? No. Do we receive the Spirit of God by trusting in the gospel? Yes, absolutely. And it's not theoretical. And there's a great deal of confusion on this point. I want to make sure that we get this down. And then we're going to apply it. We'll run through application very quickly, but I want you to hear this. Some people have got in their minds that the law is bad and that the gospel is good. They've got an idea that somehow the law is bad, but I want you to jot down Romans 7, 12. Just write that reference. Romans 7, 12 says that the law of God is holy, righteous, and good. If the law proceeded out of the mouth of God, how can it be bad? Think about that. The law is not bad. The law is good. It's righteous. It's holy. It points us to Christ. The gospel's just better. And that's the focus we're going to look at today. Many Christians wrongly believe that the law is bad and the gospel is good, but the law is good and the gospel is better. Why? Because when you receive the gospel, you receive the Spirit of God. Now, make no mistake, it's important for you to see that it's, it's good for your kids to follow the law. Would you agree with that? If your kids grow up and they're faithful to their spouse, if your kids grow up and they're good with money, if your kids grow up and they're honest and have integrity, that's a good thing, is it not? Certainly it is. We want to teach and train our kids and our grandkids to live that kind of life. That is good, but the gospel is better. I don't want to train my kids just to be moral. I don't want to train my kids to grow up and be pure by their standards because they can never keep the law. I want my kids to grow up and be filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God does not come by the law. Paul asked that question said, did you receive the Spirit by keeping the law? No. Did you receive the Spirit by believing the gospel? Yes. And so it's critical for us to see these. The law is good. The Spirit is better. The law is mono, and the Spirit is full surround sound. The law is black and white, and, and the gospel here, I may have said that wrong, the, the, the law is, is uh, the speaker on your phone, if you will, and, and the gospel is surround sound in a movie theater. The law is black and white, and the gospel is full color HD, crystal clarity, high resolution. The, the law is dial-up, 
and, and the gospel is blazing T1 internet connection. Some of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? The gospel is better than the law. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It is so critical for us to see this. And I want you to hear this with me. Here starts the application. Many kids have rejected Christianity because all they've ever seen is law. Now, in the next few moments, it's going to get quiet in here. Statistics say that almost half of the kids that grow up in church in this generation will graduate from high school and walk away from their faith. You know why? Because all their parents have ever shown them is the law. They've, now, they've brought them to church. They've shown them giving is important. They've shown them that uh, uh, going and leading or serving at Bible school or Sunday school or singing in the choir, all these things are important. Yes, they're important. Your kids and your grandkids don't need to see works of the law. They need to see a life filled with the Spirit of God. And if they see that, they'll never forget it. If they don't see it, they'll never forget that either. So many kids are seeing hypocrisy in this area because we are trying somehow like the Galatians to act like we can do it on our own without the Spirit of God. And Paul said, oh, the gospel is so much better than that. Once you've tasted this, you'll never want to go back to anything else. Let me try to explain it this way. How many of you have taken a flight over five hours long? You ever been on one of those? Oh my, bless you. Here's a family of four, two young kids, and they're about to take a, a long flight. And Johnny has never been on a plane. Now they're getting on a 777, one of the big ones. Every single seat's got a TV monitor. There's going to be movies. There's in-flight entertainment. And mom and dad are sitting on the window in the aisle on this row. And right behind them, sister and Johnny are sitting on the window in the aisle. Mom takes out the in-flight magazine, takes a look at it, and sees there's going to be a wonderful Walt Disney movie coming on. And she's all excited. She tells the kids, they're going to come through with headphones and we're going to watch a, a great movie and that will occupy time. And mom's happy. Because hopefully there's going to be a little peace and quiet. And they put in their headphones and everybody's there. And all of them are watching the movie. Except who? Little Johnny. Why? Johnny's never been on a plane before. Johnny is stuck on his video screen on the in-flight data page. You know the page that I'm talking about. There's a picture of an airplane flying over a map. And it's moving very, very, very slowly, creeping along. And it says numbers there. It says that it's 55 degrees below zero outside and the plane's flying 500 miles an hour and if we've flown this far and we've got this far to go. And then he, he, it switches every once in a while from the vertical view to a horizontal view and a ground view and that's all he's got. And nobody knows that that's all that Johnny watches for hours. And they're laughing. And he's looking and saying, Mom and Dad have lost it. They're laughing too loud, as you often do with headphones on. And Johnny says, My parents are crazy. This is boring. This is horrible. What does that have to do with anything, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Think about the conversation. He, he sees it as boring because he never experienced the truth of what they were experiencing. He never got to see what they saw. They get off the plane and they say, Hey, Johnny, didn't you love that? And he goes, My parents are weird. I don't get it. When I grow up, I want to have more fun than that. 
Some kids have come to church and all they've ever seen is works of the law. They've never seen the Spirit indwelling mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. They've never seen a life truly transformed by the gospel. And they're filled with images and and examples around them of cultural Christianity. And because of that, they say, when I grow up, I don't want anything to do with that. Hello? How could being filled with the Spirit of God ever be boring? If that is your position, if you think today, teenagers, let me speak to you, if you think Christianity is boring, you've never seen, believed the gospel. The the Spirit of the living God of the universe Promise to indwell a heart that is sin-filled and purify it and give us the joy of eternal life, to give us hope, to give us the fruit of the Spirit, to give us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, to fill us with those kinds of things, to indwell us, to guide us, to say, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll stick closer than a brother, I will be with you. If that's where you are today, don't reject the gospel. Christianity is far from boring. It may be other things, but it is nothing close to boring. Christianity is the greatest adventure that we can ever experience in life because that is the true purpose to which you and I are called. And Paul says to the Galatians who have been bewitched by those who would say the law is important. They say, well, we just got to keep the law. Paul says, no, you need to receive the Spirit. If you'll receive the Spirit of God by trusting in the gospel, then your life will be uniquely changed forever. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, you've not even gotten to your notes. You're right. I, I want to get here quickly because this is going to be very, very simple. I, I didn't get real creative with the picture that I drew for you, but I want you to see this. Imagine that parenting by the Spirit is a narrow wall. It, it is just a line. You see it there going sideways. I just want you to see what's written in there. Now we'll turn it up the other way. It is this narrow wall. It's like a balance beam. And on either side, there's water. There's shark-infested waters. There's dangerous water. We'll call this narrow way of wisdom parenting by the Spirit of God. We'll call the water on either side parenting by the law. And if you fall off either side, and it's easy to do. The Galatians did it. This applies to you personally, living by the Spirit and living by the law, or here, in this case, parenting by the Spirit and parenting by the law. We can make this mistake very, very easily. Now, I want you to hear this, a couple of pastoral notes that I've got to put in. Oftentimes, kids that are brought to church from an early age will make a decision of some sort. They'll make a commitment of their lives to Christ at an early age, and when they do, that's a great thing. But parents don't affirm more than what happens. Oftentimes, they are just mimicking what they have heard taught. And if they've not received the Spirit of God, if they've not been saved, don't affirm salvation in that. You wait patiently and guide them. For you don't want them just to check off a box and say, I was baptized when I was five. Lots and lots of churches have a lot of people that were baptized when they're five that absolutely have never been born again. And our desire is that we would, not con, uh, we would not mistake conformity for conversion. That if your kids have not been saved, if they're just going through religious motions, they're going through the law, what does Paul say? The, Paul, the, the law will not bring you the Spirit. And very, very important for you to see. Now, let, let's move on and look at this picture together. 
there are two dangerous errors. One of them is trusting in your own works. Trusting in your own works. That's on the top left. Fill that one in on your, your sheet. Trusting in your own works. It sounds like this in practical terms. If I do everything as a parent I'm supposed to do and do them absolutely right, then all will be well with my kids. If I do the Bible readings and prayers and discipline and bring them to church, they'll be fine. And that can lead to a disastrous end. We're going to talk about those results in a moment. The Galatian believers began this journey with faith and moved off to the side. We believe that salvation by grace through faith is the only way, and it does not depend on parenting. Your kids don't get saved because of how good you were as a parent. Praise God, they don't avoid salvation or stay away from salvation, or they're not kept from salvation by how bad you were as a parent. It is God who saves. That would be another place for a great amen. Do we believe that or not? It is God and God alone who saves. Amen? Here's two, a tale of two families. Both of them have two daughters. And one of them, their two daughters, love the Lord. They have grown. They have finished college. They're serving God faithfully. The other family have two kids that are prodigals. They rebelled deeply. They moved away from the faith. And here's the tragedy. This family that had good kids spoke with sadness. They're in the same Sunday school class. They spoke with sadness about the other couple. And here's what they said. If only they had done what we have done, maybe their kids would have stopped right there. You know what they've just done? They have robbed God of all of the glory of what He's done. They've turned the salvation of their children into work instead of glorious grace. They've turned it into human efforts. So one of the dangers of falling off of this narrow path of wisdom, of parenting in the Spirit, of fighting for our family, is that we fall off into trusting our own works. The other side is we quench the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. You see, quenching the Holy Spirit means we've taken our eyes off of the work that He is doing. And when we do that, we miss so much. We stop thinking about what He has done. The Holy Spirit's always at work around in your, the life of your kids. You know that, don't you? Henry Blackaby, a number of years ago in a Bible study called Experiencing God, reminded us of that. God is always at work around us. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Now, here's what happens. The other error is an obnoxious pride. We can come to the place of having an obnoxious pride if we quench the Spirit and say, I did this. My parenting led to these kids being the way that they are. You know what the other side of it is? It's an unbearable weight. I want you to see all four of these. You see, when we trust in our own works, we begin to hold a, an unbelievable weight that we were never meant to carry. You can't save your kids. Let the Spirit of God do the work that the Spirit does, but walk in a Spirit-filled life of obedience as the number one weapon to fight for your family. And when you do that, their lives, their trajectory is much more likely to follow in line. When you bring them to church and show them dead religion, all they're going to do is say, that's boring and I want nothing to do with it. Oh, have you ever seen in a youth group when some student really catches fire, when the Spirit of God transforms a heart and they begin to share the gospel with their friends? I've seen this over and over again where a high school or a middle school was literally transformed by one student and their desire to follow Jesus Christ. Don't carry an unbearable weight and 
don't quench the spirit and lead to an obnoxious pride. Let me say a couple of more things. My, our, our time is winding down. Here, here's part of the reason this is difficult, Brother Wes. God doesn't send us report cards. It's easy for us to measure things that we have tangible measures on. I mean, you, you affirm those things, right? You affirm the law side of things. I'll never forget when my sister would come home with a report card, she would have a B on it, and, and she and my parents would cry because she got a B. I'd bring my report card home, and I'd have a B, and they would cry, but it was for an entirely different reason. That was, that was her first, and well, maybe mine too, both from other ends of the spectrum. If you affirm in your kids their grades, their athletic ability, man, that was an incredible three-point shot right at the buzzer. You did it. You're the man. If you affirm those things in your kid and they leave the house and they feel like those are the most important things, then you've missed it all. Why don't you begin to affirm the work of the Spirit in their lives? Why don't you say, hey, I heard that you spoke to that new kid in the youth group and you really made her feel welcomed in, and that was very Christ-like. That was loving of you to do. How about you saying, you know what, you, you did blow it, you really messed up that one, but I saw a genuine sense of sorrow and repentance. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Uh, affirm the grades, affirm the sports, but affirm the Spirit of God working in their hearts and their lives. Does that make sense to somebody here? I'm hoping somebody here is going to go away with new tools in their tool belt, new ammunition to fight for their family to say, I need to walk in the Spirit. I need to teach my kids to walk in the Spirit. I, I don't know about you, I don't want my kids just to grow up and be moral. I want them to be holy. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to be filled with the Spirit of God so their lives make an impact. Parenting in the Spirit. For time's sake, we, we can't go on through the rest of this chapter. We will pick up with some of this next week. But he uses Abraham as an example. If you looked in verse 6 and following, and I'll close out here. He, he says, this is what Abraham did. Abraham in old age heard the promise of God and he believed it. And he was given that promise. God took a dead wound. An old man and an old woman, and he brought forth life, Isaac. And the Bible says in Romans 4 that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. He just heard that and said, God, I don't know how you'll do it, but I trust it. And the beauty of that passage of Scripture is this. It says that it was credited unto him as righteousness. So the question today is, are you living by the Spirit? Or are you trying to live a religious life by the law? Are you just trying to follow religious do's and don'ts? It's empty and hollow and will never, ever last. And Paul brought that point out, not for the context of parenting, but we can apply it there. More importantly, it applies to every individual heart that's here. Oh, if I could look each of you in the eye, if, I, if we could sit knee to knee and just begin to talk, and I could tell you what the Spirit of God has done in and through my life. When the Spirit of God came into my heart and changed my life, when did that happen? It happened when I trusted Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that He would send for us this comforter, this other one that is the counselor, and the Holy Spirit of God comes in and dwells the hearts of those who have believed in the gospel. These themes are critical. Hearing, receiving, believing, obeying. Have you trusted Christ?
Oh, friend, I don't want you to come to the end of your life and say, well, we tried to raise our kids in church. No, you don't need to raise them in church. You need to raise them in the Spirit. You need to raise them in the Gospel. Now, that will include taking them to church. Why? Because you want to be with other believers in whom the Spirit is indwelling. I don't want to just raise my kids to be moral and to keep the law. I want to raise them to follow after Jesus Christ because they're in love with Him because the Spirit of God resides in their hearts. Amen? The final word is this. For individuals, if you've never experienced the transforming power of the gospel in your own life, if you've never been saved, we use that language a lot. Saved from what? Saved from an eternity cut off from God. He is the source of life. And hell is a place where God gives the sinner that's unrepentant everything that he's always asked for. He's wanted away from God. And so you leave this world not saved, not under the blood of Jesus Christ, not in a place of believing in Him where you've placed your faith in Him, then God says, you did not want me in this life. You do not have to be with me throughout eternity. And we're separated in a Christless eternity. But that's not the good news. The good news is today you can believe this glorious gospel. The good news is today you can be saved. The good news is the Spirit of God can live in your heart. And you say, oh, if I ever saw that, I would want that. Well, maybe that's the challenge today. Some of you who are filled with the Spirit need to surrender to the Spirit so that you look like it to the world around you. Let's pray together. Father, have your way during this time of decision. If there are those who need to be saved, I pray that they would run down this aisle, find an encourager, and take the, the, the message of uh, the gospel to heart. God, if there are those who need to repent of the sin of legalism and say, God, I want to live by the Spirit, not by my own works, I pray that today would be a day of freedom for them. And God, I pray that families would rise up together and let the Spirit of God lead and guide them along this path. And we pray it for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people together said, amen. Let's stand together as we sing a hymn of decision. We have encouragers here that would love to take the Bible and share with you how you can be saved. If you need to unite yourself with this church, we would love for you to. They can share with you how to do that as well. Let God have his way.